Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. We bring you part three of our series where it's 1971 and Walt Disney World is set to open. You have thousands of new cast members, most of whom have never seen a Disney theme park, and you need to orient them to this experience. The only problem is the park isn't open or even ready yet. So how do you give them that understanding? Enter a series of handbooks put out by the University of Walt Disney World. In these instructional materials, cast members were introduced to the setting in which they would work. There's one for each of the lands of the park plus the resort. In this podcast, we'll look at Frontierland. We'll look at the attractions, shops, dining, and other features available at this time. Whether you were a host for the Country Bear Jamboree, serving up drinks at Mile Long Bar, or steering canoes along the rivers of America, we'll look at this land as Imagineers and early operators saw them. If you yearn for the Walt Disney World of yesteryear, or you want to know what these, this land was like back in the early days of the park, this is your podcast as we continue our effort to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. By the way, thanks to those of you who drew it to my attention, that in the previous two podcasts, which covered Main Street and Adventureland, I, I think I said on more than one occasion we were celebrating the 150th anniversary of Walt Disney World, which means I'm a very forward-thinking kind of guy, or absent-minded when I'm actually trying to do a podcast. At any rate, hope you're checking also the DisneyAtPlay.com website because there's some, some images that we're going to want to bring up and showcase for you as part of this experience as we go through it. So be sure to check that as well as our Patreon group. Most of you kind of wonder what this is. We call it the Wayfinder Society, you know, kind of like Moana, kind of setting your way. For as little as a dollar a month, this Patreon group not only helps to support this podcast and the attending websites, but also gives you access to one of our Disney at Play interactive guides. Very cool. It's about uh, Pandora, World of Avatar, goes into details that no other guide goes into. So again, you just want to check out DisneyAtPlay.com and uh, help support this podcast, different tiers, depending on what your interests are. All right, let's talk a little bit about Frontierland. The handbook for this section uh, was a little bit more condensed than others, but it begins with what we refer to as chapter one, the Frontierland story. A significant chapter in the history of our country was westward expansion through the 1800s. This continuing movement by hardy pioneers pushed the American frontier from one nation from one end of our nation to the other. In Frontierland, you'll relive the history of the Old West, from the keelboats of the Ohio River Valley to explorers' canoes of the Missouri. The rivers of America show their importance in transporting trappers, traders, and settlers alike. The Santa Fe Trail, the cattle drives, and the cowboys were another integral part of the frontier experience and are represented in restaurant locations, shops, and attractions in this area. Now, I have to say the thing that makes Frontierland stand out is that unlike Disneyland, it is not off the hub. At Disneyland, 
you have just like Adventureland and Fantasyland and Tomorrowland, Frontierland is a step off the hub. When they designed this, they made Frontierland a secondary land behind Liberty Square. We'll talk about Liberty Square and it's how it evolves along the rivers of America. Um, but uh, this one, I think the strangest thing for me was the fact that you don't see the big clapboard sign saying Frontierland um, over the entire pathway. It's just kind of a set aside as you kind of evolve into Frontierland. They reference Missouri in this. Missouri actually, is, I see it as characterized more by the, um, it's more characterized by the Diamond Horseshoe, which technically is more a part of Liberty Square. It's described in their handbook. The, um, the idea of the Ohio River Valley is also a little bit more toward Liberty Square, but the Santa Fe Trail definitely references Pecos Bill and the Liberty Square uh, handbook, they're going to reference what they refer to as the Northwest. And that's really where we get that kind of timber look that we see at the Country Bear Jamboree. So there's a lot of different uh, frontier styles that are represented in Frontierland as we kind of kind of come through. But it's it's not quite like Disneyland where you suddenly you're moving off the hub and you're officially in Frontierland. It is more of an evolution from Liberty Square. And so it makes it a very different um, different looking feel than it, than the original um, than the original Frontierland at uh, at Disneyland. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, chapter two, which again provides the same dialogue that you had in, in the other handbooks. It calls the Frontierland stage, but basically it talks about the utilidor that runs underneath that portion of the park. And it does. Last week we talked about how it runs um, along uh, what is uh, what was originally the Adventureland veranda all the way past the Enchanted Tiki Room. Well, all of that area in uh, Adventureland is really back-ended by Frontierland shops and restaurants. And so those that same corridor ran underneath until it ends up at at where uh, Pecos Bills is. So it runs all the way along that corridor and uh, becomes a support system for bringing retail items and food and beverage items without having to truck them down the down along the pathways of Frontierland. All of that is part of chapter two that is in the Frontierland handbook. Then we get to chapter three. Let's go into attractions and start with the Frontierland Shooting Gallery. The Shooting Gallery offers our guests a chance to test their skills with the long gun. These semi-automatic air rifles fire 16 rounds with the force of a 22 caliber bullet. This sounds, this sounds lethal. <laughs> we will use approximately 70 tons of special soft lead shot imported from an Australian lead mine. McLashen Enterprises, a subsidiary of Walt Disney Productions, has constructed a gallery of small Western game, which includes fish, owls, ducks, rabbits. Remember the old Frontierland, the old shooting galleries, they used to have just like a series of fish that would go across the water and a series of 
um, rabbits that would go across the grass and so forth. When the gallery is in full operation, it will be repainted daily and will require approximately 2,000 gallons of paint per year. In front of the metal targets, we have constructed a special water pond and large fans to control the ricochets. That's a fascinating, uh, fascinating thing. So, um, uh, so imagine, so I, I did not know that there was a kind of a special water pond in front or that there were fans, but basically they were trying to prevent people from maybe hitting the wall and then having it ricochet or bounce back and hit somebody. I've never heard of any, any injuries on this thing, but my gosh, with, <laughs> with a special Australian led, uh, shot, yeah, you kind of wonder, this sounds really crazy. And in, in fact, this was one of the original ways in which Disney was so dedicated to the upkeep of the parks is that these things had to be repainted nightly for the next day. It was a lot of effort to create all of these um, things. Now, when Tokyo Disney was built in uh, 1984, they came up with an infrared uh, shooting gallery. And that's what we ended up having today, which saves a lot of paint and, and so forth. But, um, but in these early days, this was a very authentic shooting gallery. The Country Bear Jamboree. The members of the Country Bear Jamboree will perform regularly in a pine-walled Northwoods Theater, Grizzly Isle. Okay, I apologize. This is where you do get the Northwest. Uh, but it, it falls into the Santa Fe when you get to Pecos Bills. It's very crazy. Old-time music for the show is provided by an audio-animatronic bear named Gomer and a honky-tonk piano with a quintet called the Five Bear Rugs. Their instruments include a washboard, a mouth harp, a white lightning jug, and a one-string thing. Twenty-four bears perform in this country and western theater. Our guests will marvel at feature stars such as Liverlips, McGraw, the Miami Serenader, never, yeah, but anyway, I'll have to come back to that one, Terrence, and the vibrating, vibrating wreck from Nashville Tech. And that does, that does describe Terrence, I have to say. Of course, we mustn't forget uh, Churcher LeBear, Teddy Bear, and the last of the Big time swingers, Trixie, the Tampa Temptation. Some of this language got changed out. There is a whole bunch of narrative language in the uh, full album that they did for the Country Bear Jamboree, which um, which had um, illustrations, both the caricatures that Mark Davis had drawn as well as photos of each of the bears. And some of these are are descriptions I don't recall reading from that. Um, but hey, um, that, again, this is where they were at at that point. Nobody had seen this show because this show was premiering in 1971. This was brand new. The Mike Fink Keelboats. The two Mike Fink Keelboats, which will travel on the Frontierland Rivers of America, are patterned after the original boats that operated on the Ohio and Mississippi Rivers during the 1800s. The Bertha May and Gollywumper are replicas of the boats owned by Davy Crockett and Mike Fink, which were made famous in the Walt Disney television series. Again, most people, 
The only way they would know these things is if they had seen the Walt Disney Wonderful World of Disney or the Disneyland um, TV series prior. Both boats were constructed at Disneyland and shipped to Walt Disney World. This two-deck boat is built of fiberglass over a steel superstructure and is powered by a natural gas engine. As guests enjoy a leisurely trip around the rivers of America, they will listen to a seasoned boat handler describe the wildlife and other points of interest along the riverbanks. Davy now, by the way, the thing that makes this really confusing is in the early days, the Mike Finn keel boats were actually operated just outside of the Haunted Mansion and a little dock there that sometimes is used for overflow queuing for the Haunted Mansion. It wasn't until much later that they were actually moved to a dock uh, in, um, in and around uh, Big Thunder Mountain. Davy Crockett's Canoes. The Indian village is the last outpost of Frontierland civilization. This birch bark village calls special attention to the American Indian, and guests may board an explorer's canoe for an adventure down the rivers of America. The canoes will follow a route which will take them past the settlers' log cabin, set afire by pirates, shores where wild game is abundant, and then will float past a friendly Indian village where the inhabitants are seen going about their daily tribal chores. Frontiersmen will steer the canoe both front and aft, and the guests riding between them will assist with the paddling. This will be an exciting experience for young and old who have always wanted to paddle their own canoe. Now, actually, uh, they talk about a village being right at the end. At Disneyland, there was an Indian village at about the same location as you kind of went past um, Frontierland and New Orleans Square and what became eventually Bear Country, which eventually became Critter Country and Splash Mountain, there was an Indian village. There, I've never seen an Indian village located here. What I did see a lot of, and I'll try to get a photo of it, is the um, totems. There were large major totems that maybe not historically accurate ones, but there were large totems that were positioned in this location. Um, and then they talk about things you're paddling uh, past. Um, on, the, on the original Magic Kingdom map that were handed to guests, there were two islands. There was no bridge connecting them because Tom Sawyer Island would be introduced for another year or two. And actually the North Island was called Tom Sawyer's Island. The South Island was called just that. It was the South Island. And in that, you see actually a dock, um, probably for taking boats over. But then you also see the, the settler's cabin, which is on fire. And then you also see an Indian village on the island itself, as well as the friendly um, Indian village that we see today on the shore near the train. I never have seen an Indian village on the island itself. And that Magic Kingdom map may be just a little later. I don't know if it was there at opening, but it does show the train station at that time, which was not open at park opening. So, but there are some other things that did come later um, that, uh, that are referenced in there. So that gives you an idea of what attractions were available in Frontierland at that time. Um, moving forward, 
let's talk about uh, fun, food, and shopping, all part of chapter four. The Mile Long Bar. The Mile Long Bar is fashioned after an Old West mining era saloon. This is a fast food operation sponsored by Pepsi-Cola and Frito-Lay, featuring a special hamburger plate and Pepsi-Cola beverages. This food operation is unique in that we have combined live entertainment with performing audio animatronic animals. So uh, the three heads, uh, Max and, um, and the two others, were also stationed there at Mile Long Bar. Um, and just as you see them as you exit the Country Bear Jamboree, they would show back up. And this was a contained area, actually separate from Pecos Bills. And what was happening there is that there were mirrors on both ends of the bar, so it looked like the bar was extending forever. And that's how we get the expression mile-long bar from it. And it's saying that it was offering Pepsi-Cola and Frito-Lay products. So I'm wondering if at th this time, Magic Kingdom was a lot like it was during um, Disneyland's period. The park was divided up into two halves and Coca-Cola went with Main Street and, and Tomorrowland and Pepsi-Cola got um, the Frontierland western side of the park. And it sounds to me like they did the same thing here at Magic Kingdom in the very early days. Now, when Epcot gets built and they ask Coca-Cola to help sponsor what I believe would be the American Adventure, they asked for complete dominance in the park. So you couldn't get a Pepsi-Cola product after that time period. Then we have Pecos Bill's Cafe. This fast food operation adjoins the Mile Long Bar and its menu specialties are hamburgers, hot dogs, corn dogs, french fries, and a full line of beverages. So in these early days, you did not actually have, um, you did not actually have the Mexican fare or the, um, the uh, bar where you would put uh, stuff on top of your nachos. None of that was available back then. It was more of a hamburger, hot dog, corn dog affair. Frontierland Trading Post. The Frontier Trading Post is themed after those trading posts that were located in the West during the days when the white man bartered with the Indian. I'm just reading this. This is how it was written back then. Uh, here guests will trade wampum for rabbit pelts, purses, leather fringe, jackets and vests, moccasins, turquoise jewelry, and even kettle horns. I can only imagine how many of these things were actually available in the Trading Post, which now sells um, pins, by the way. Um, but uh, but back then, in the 70s, it was not an it was not unusual to go want to buy a, a rabbit's uh, rabbit's foot, is what they would call them. Um, leather fringe jackets and vests—they were actually common back then. I even had one uh, back then. Turquoise jewelry was all the rage back in the 1970s. I don't know that anybody was buying cattle horns back in that time. Not sure how you got them back home after your trip or carrying them out of the park. But notwithstanding, uh, even, even until recently, 
uh, there was a lot of merchandise in Tokyo Disney that was very authentic kinds of merchandise like this. But this was this was the kind of merchandise that was sold in the parks. Back then, it was hard to go get something like that because there was no Amazon back then. The Westward Ho Shop. This unusual shop is divided into two sections, Mexican and Indian. And I was probably wrong that um, the first shop that I named is probably the one that's, that... Uh, is currently closed and is selling um, the Frontier Trading Post. Actually, that's the one that now sells um, like uh, caramel apples and cookies and sweets. Again, it hasn't reopened since pandemic. I talked about that in a couple of podcasts ago when we were talking about uh, shops that were um, closed, not closed. Um, but at any rate, the Westward Ho Shop, this unusual shop is divided into two sections, Mexican and Indian. The Mexican area will feature handmade pottery, Mexican soft goods, and jewelry. In the Indian section, guests will be able to purchase Indian war bonnets, jewelries, tom-toms, and unusual items of Indian folklore. Also available is rugged Western apparel for children and adults. Again, very common to the theme parks back then was this merchandise. I, I don't want to call it more authentic merchandise because an Indian war bonnet or a tom-tom was hardly what I would refer to as authentic to the time period. Now, um, one of the things that's really missing from this section is any discussion about characters or uh, musical entertainment and I don't know that there was any musical entertainment uh, in Frontierland during that time what I do know is that there were characters and they were largely three sets of characters the first were some of the country bears that came out and um, we know that there were country bears because in the 19 uh, what year was it? The 1971 uh, Disney on Parade touring show. They actually had a whole host of those bears do an entire skit portion of that show that toured across the country. And so at that time, there were country bears that, that uh, were costume characters that mingled around the park. The next set of characters was uh, Br'er Bear, Br'er Fox, and Br'er Rabbit. And it used usually all three of those, and they mingled around with the guests in the park. I know this because my uh, my form, my business partner, um, who uh, formerly worked for Walt Disney World for many years, one of his first roles was playing Br'er Bear, and our Br'er Fox, I think he did, uh, because one time he picked up, was it, how was it? I need to get this story again, but he one time was goofing around while they were waiting for the guests to come in the park, so they would stand on the other end by the canoes and kind of wave at the guests as they were coming toward them. Anyway, he picked up one of the characters one time and, and put them in the river. It was a lot easier to access the river, and their shoes got caught. And so they had to scramble really fast before the guests came in to get the character back out stage. Yeah, that was, uh, I'm surprised he didn't get terminated for that, but 
those were the kind of pranks that uh, my business partner would play back then. So Br'er Fox, Br'er Br'er, and Br'er Rabbit were characters at that time. And the other three was Donald Duck and Jose and Panchito. Uh, they kind of hung out around Pecos Bills and kind of took in that little Mexican flavor that um, Panchito uh, brought to the uh, brought to um, brought to the themes there. And so the three caballeros would hang out in Frontierland as well. It would be a couple of years later before Tom Sawyer Island, along with the riverboat or the uh, the rafts, would be extended into uh, into Frontierland. So, and then of course it would be around uh, 1980 81 before uh, Big Thunder Mountain finally came into the area and. Um, another 10 years after that before Splash Mountain came into the area. So the big attractions that you know of, so much of what fills Frontierland was actually much later on. In these early days, there was intention to build what was known as the Western River Expedition, which was part boat, part, uh, part, and, um, part boat as in kind of Pirates of the Caribbean boat, and part railway that would intermingle uh, and along an entire butte. Again, I'll try to show a picture of that. And that was intended as being the official phase two of the uh, Magic Kingdom. And it was all designed by Mark Davis, who had played a heavy role in the original um, Pirates of the Caribbean. And uh, and the thought was to put this in that entire area where Big Thunder and Splash Mountain is today. The reality of was is shortly afterwards there was an energy crisis and the attendance really went down because most guests were driving to Walt Disney World and being so far away, that was not speaking well. And so to get guests coming to the park, they needed a more affordable solution. There had already been a lot of commentary about or a lot of guests complained about the fact that Pirates of the Caribbean was not put into the Magic Kingdom and they had seen Walt Disney introduce it on the wonderful world of Disney. Like, why isn't it here? So so in, in a, a cost-saving approach, they took Pirates of the Caribbean from Disneyland, which they already pretty much had, and put a simpler version of it that didn't involve going down... Uh, um, to an underground cavern. They put that into Adventureland and said that they would put the uh, Western River Expedition for a later time, but it, it never came. Space Mountain came after that. And then Tony Baxter came up with the idea of, and because Space Mountain was such a popular roller coaster, Tony came out with an exclusive attraction roller coaster concept based on Big Thunder Mountain and that is what inevitably got put in to uh, the Magic Kingdom after one had been put into Disneyland out in California. Well, that's it for this Disney at Play podcast. We appreciate you joining us and uh, thank you for being a part. Again, if you have a chance, check out the Wayfinder Society where you can uh, get exclusive podcasts and also uh, interactive 
tools and experiences and stories that you can check out uh, that will further your enjoyment of all things Disney. Next week, we are at D23, but I will have a podcast prior to that on Tuesday, and, uh, and then we'll follow up um, at D23 with some special events there, and then we'll come back to this series on the Walt Disney World Handbooks of 1971. Again, thanks for joining us in the words of Sinbad's storybook, Voyage. Always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon. Music